Luke chapter 19, verse 12. And Jesus said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That sound familiar to anybody? That's what Jesus is doing. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. That's going to be our subject tonight. Occupy till I come. But when I was studying, I noticed this. I'd never noticed this verse before, but his citizens hated him. They hated this nobleman and they sent a message after him said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, them hating him didn't stop him from returning. Them not liking his rule didn't stop him from coming back. In fact, look at it. It came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, so all of their hate and all of their mocking and all of their calling him down, it didn't stop the nobleman from receiving his kingdom and coming back. And then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for the privilege of standing here and opening your word. Thank you for the privilege of being in fellowship with precious believers. Thank you, Jesus, for the hunger, for your presence that's among us. Jesus, we just fan that into flame for a moment tonight. We're not interested in just doing a little uh, Bible study lecture, but God, would you touch here? Would you touch down? Would you move on lives and hearts and stir up that flame that's in your people? It's here. I, I feel it, but it gets tamped down by all the busyness and the distractions and the tiredness of a week. And God, I pray you'd help us all tonight to do your will in this place. And we'll give you all the honor and the glory because we pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It was the year um, 2003, a little over 16 years ago. It was May the 1st. And the then president of the United States, President George W. Bush, he stood on the flight deck of the USS Abraham Lincoln and he made an historic speech uh, from that imposing flight deck. And he declared, quote, an end to major combat operations in Iraq. He got, uh, oh, maligned and mocked and everything in the press after that. They called it a premature victory announcement. The, they had hung a huge banner, mission accomplished, uh, across the towers of that battleship. And, and so the backdrop was pretty imposing, but it was still pretty early. President Bush, he uh, became a reluctant wartime president when just a few months into his tenure, 9-11 happened. And uh, those of you that were uh, around and of age on that day, you remember probably where you were when you heard the news about the Twin Towers. I certainly do. President Bush, he made this declaration. He said, we have ended major combat operations. And they had. But as he stated that day, what wasn't picked up by the press in his speech, the coalition forces engaged in securing and reconstructing this country still have dangerous work to complete. Here's what he said. The war on terror is not over, yet it is not endless. We do not know the day of final victory, 
but we have seen the turning of the tide. You know that after that announcement, there were more casualties on this side of his announcement of mission accomplished than there were before he made the announcement. But time has a way of marching on, and we have seen changes in that regime, and it's still very volatile in that region of the world. It was before President Bush's tenure, and it has been since. But regardless of your political stripe, and we're Canadians, so we don't have a, a dog in that fight, but there's near universal consensus on this fact. Military victory over a hostile or entrenched foe you can have a victory, you can win a battle, but that's just the first phase of warfare. After that, you have to have unwavering determination and untiring effort. Those are required to preserve that peace that is still pretty fragile and precarious and trying to defend a fledgling freedom from those whose ideology prefers dictatorship way over democracy and those people, some of them will stop at nothing in their attempts to sabotage the process and reverse the progress. So here's the point. Victory was declared, but occupying forces had to see to it that victory was enforced and maintained. Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 19 teaches us that the servants of God must also occupy till he returns we also occupy some pretty hostile territory sometimes between now and the rapture. The word occupy does not mean to just kind of take up space. It doesn't just mean to bide your time. In fact, if you read a little further in Jesus' parable, that's what the slothful servant did that was punished. He just kind of held his own, bided his time, took up space, kept what he had. He didn't do anything. Occupy doesn't mean to be idle. Occupy means to busy oneself with trade. Simply put, we're supposed to do more than just fill a place in God's kingdom. We're supposed to be carrying out spiritual business for the king. And what is our primary business? What is the primary occupying force of the church? Paul answers that question for us to a young man that he mentored, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul, he gives Timothy the answer to that question. What is the church supposed to be doing as they occupy till he comes? 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, somebody say, first of all. So before anything else, before any other priority or any other order of business, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's first of all. All of those words there have to do with our prayer lives, both as individuals and as a church. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. Paul agrees here with an old Puritan preacher that you might have heard of, John Bunyan. John Bunyan said this, quote, We can do more than pray after we've prayed, but we cannot do more than pray until we've prayed. Until we've prayed, everything else comes up short. Now, one of the most powerful prayer words in the New Testament is that word that Paul says we're to do first of all. First of all, supplication. 
But if you look supplication up in the dictionary, you wreck it. You ruin it. Because in English, it's stripped of much of its meaning. There in the English dictionary, the sense of supplication is kind of like you're begging for something. And we go to God and we sometimes think that way. We're begging him to do things. But the scriptural word for supplication isn't just the sense of begging for something. It's the sense of binding. Supplication does mean make your prayer requests known to God. But it extends the concept quite a bit further. To supplicate is not just to beg. To supplicate is not just to ask. To supplicate, to make supplication is kind of like what you would think of the word nagging. Does anybody know what the word nagging means? The married people are all terrified right now. Yes, I do. And she's sitting beside me. Yeah, I know, I got it. Nagging or supplication means to ask with passion, persistence, and focus. Little kids have nagging down to a science. If you've ever raised two, three, four-year-olds, you got this. They can beat the side of your knee off while you're trying to talk to another adult because they are supplicating you. They are making supplication. Dad, 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 dad. Dad, that's supplication. It's kind of nagging. Supplication is asking with passion, persistence, and focus. But see, God doesn't see it as nagging. God doesn't see it as a nuisance. Here's how God sees it. Supplication is the prayer of occupation. Supplication is the prayer of occupying forces. In other words, the victory has been declared. It was declared 2,000 years ago on Calvary. But just because the victory was won and declared on Calvary does not mean the devil went and, you know, kind of headed off to his vacation home and he's been there ever since. The devil doesn't play by the rules. The devil tries to constantly infringe on the territory that God has given to his people. And so the devil doesn't give up and the devil doesn't stop. And so supplication is the prayer of occupation. It's very much like the war we've seen unfold in so many nations in the Middle East. We see uh, occupying forces that their whole job, it's not very glamorous or glorious. Their whole job is to keep the peace and maintain the territory and enforce what has been won and the gains that have been won. That's their job. And it's a pretty boring job sometimes. It's a pretty difficult job sometimes. It's a pretty thankless job sometimes. And that brings us smack dab in the middle of the reason why a lot of people don't pray very much. Because it feels difficult and boring and sometimes pointless. But supplication is what enforces the boundaries of the kingdom of God. God has ordained boundaries of blessing around his people and around his church. And if you live there, there's a blessing that goes there. I don't care what kind of house or apartment building or trailer it is. If you live there, God has ordained 
boundaries of blessing around that place. I don't care what kind of occupation it is. If you work in that building, there's blessing that follows you into that place because you're a child of God. But it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen with no effort. It doesn't happen because you woke up, rubbed the sleep out of your eyes, and rushed off to some place. No, it happens because somebody says, wait a minute, God, I'm your child. You promised me this, and I'm going to enforce it today. I'm going to walk in it today. I'm going to claim it today, and it's mine today. See, you say, well, what point is there to that? Here's the point. That is the prayer of supplication. God, your boundaries aren't being respected. God, what you won for me isn't being respected. God, what you gave me, the devil's trying to take it away from me, so I stand here in the name of Jesus and I enforce the boundaries that were won. That's an occupying prayer. That's a prayer of supplication. You know when you're supposed to pray that? Paul said, first of all, supplication. First of all, you make sure you got your borders and your boundaries secured before you go to pray for anything else. It's what Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Apostolic believers, that's all of you that are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Apostolic believers are not just equipped to entreat, to beg, to ask. No, you are equipped by the Holy Ghost to enforce. That's given to you by the power of God in prayer. That's why prayer cannot be some sleepy little monotone, mindless repetition. Jesus talked about vain repetition. Vain repetition isn't when you say the same word two or three times. I've heard people pray, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they said the same three word, same word three times. That wasn't vain repetition. You felt the anointing just shake the place every time they said it. Vain repetition is when you're not thinking about what you're saying and you're just kind of responding because you know you're supposed to. It's kind of like the little five-second clips we get in between everything in church. Because isn't it something they stand here every day? These people that stand in this pulpit, they could be aerobic coaches. Raise your hands. Stand to your feet. Shake somebody's hand. Shake yourself. Pray for somebody. Lay your hand on somebody. And some of you don't like it very much. I read your mind. No, I didn't. I just know human nature. But here's the thing. We need something every once in a while to shake us out of just mindless response. We, we need somebody every once in a while to remind us that when we pray, God listens. When we pray, heaven stands at attention, but heaven is not waiting to, to rush into some half-hearted, half-asleep little prayer, but heaven is standing waiting for somebody to take their position and say, wait a minute, Jesus, you paid for this on the cross and it's not being done because the devil's rushed in where he's not supposed to be. I rebuke him in Jesus' name. I enforce the boundaries of God's blessing. Every once in a while, you just have to get a little fierce in prayer. And so, so that's supplication. Everybody say supplication. It's not just entreating God. It's enforcing what God said. Now Jesus gave us a promise. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But that verse, that's Matthew 16 verse 18. 
Let's, let's go there. Matthew 16, 18. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But that verse doesn't stand alone. It is connected to the next verse that says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the scripture's true. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, but that's not a guarantee if the church is sound asleep. That's not a guarantee if the church doesn't pray. That's not a guarantee if the church doesn't go into supplication and say, God, we're enforcing the boundaries of your blessing. We're enforcing the boundaries of what you want. See, that's supplication. And so you can't have verse 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail unless we're willing to do verse 19. God, I bind that. That's not part of your will. I bind that. That's not part of your plan. And God, I loose this in my life because you promised I could have it. And so obviously, if you got a brain in your head, and you all do, you don't loose bad things and bind good things. You loose some good things in your life. And you bind those things that the devil would like to put on you. The ancient custom all through the uh, Holy Land, and you can still see it today in some of the ruins of the old cities. The gates of the city functioned as a place of discourse, um, official decree. There were little uh, platforms set up and made out of stone where the, the ruler of the city, if he was a king or whatever he was, would sit on a throne just outside the city surrounded by his elders. And that's where they made all of the decisions. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about the gates of hell. He's not talking about literal gates that can't hold us out. He's talking about gates. Decrees were made in the gates. Decisions were made in the gates. The councils of the city were taken in the gates. So when Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail, he's saying that the councils and the decisions and the decrees of hell cannot prevail against the church if the church will bind hell and loose heaven. He's teaching us something, that his victory on the cross is so powerful that if you'll pray that it be enforced, it will stop hell dead in its tracks. Now, I can't go one inch further until we at least kind of digest that. And if you'd lift up your hands and just say, God, I need to learn how to pray with supplication. You just talk to Jesus for a minute. God, I need to learn how to pray that way. I, God, I need to learn how to enforce something. Maybe you already know what that is. Well, you can take your liberty. We've got time. God, I enforce that. You paid for my healing with the stripes on your back, and I'm sick. Jesus, I enforce that. I claim that. That was paid for on Calvary. Jesus, I enforce peace in my home. It's not right that my home is all torn up with chaos and dysfunction. I enforce peace. You said that I could have peace. Your word declares that you are my peace, so I enforce that. I supplicate. I choose to enforce the boundaries of God's blessing. Huh. You know, we could use a good dose of mad in our prayers sometimes. There's a whole lot of us that are very fatalistic. Well, if God wanted to do it, God would do it. That is not what God says in his word. He says, if my people will pray, 
then I will hear and I'll go to work. See, we think, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God will do what he wants to do. God has chosen to work through his church and that's why Paul said, first of all, make supplication. Because supplication, that, that prayer of enforcing, it moves into the confusion and the pain and the heartache that's been caused by the fall of man. Supplication dares to go up against broken hearts and broken homes and broken lives and broken health and broken minds and broken relationships. And supplication dares to stand there and say, devil, you are in the wrong territory. Not This isn't big enough for the two of us. You're leaving. I'm staying. This is my home. This is my mind. This is my marriage. These are my kids. This is my church. This is my life. We're not both staying here. You're leaving because God gave me power to bind you. And supplication, that prayer of enforcing, it begins to bind up broken things. And it brings them back. It's like it grabs them and pulls them back into God's order, his original design. It is your business to see things that aren't in God's plan, that aren't in God's will, that aren't in God's design. It is your business as a child of God to say that's not what heaven intended. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what God created. It's your business to see that. But not just to see it and talk about it. Not just to see it and worry about it. Not just to see it and complain about it. It's your business as a child of God to see it and then go to prayer about it because supplication steps in and says, I'm here to enforce the will of God through prayer. Passionate, persistent, focused, faithful prayer that grabs hold of situations and will not let go until those situations once agree, once again agree with God's word. Our binding and loosing isn't just random. It accomplishes what has already been willed in heaven. The greatest friend you have in learning how to pray is right here. Because unless you know what God has decreed, you don't have a clue how to pray. Unless you know the language of Scripture, I'm not talking about King James language, I'm just talking about the concepts of Scripture. You know about grace and mercy and forgiveness and repentance. You know about worship and praise and adoration. You know about extolling his name and clapping your hands and lifting your hands and lifting your voice. Where do we get all of that? We get that from the handbook on prayer. So the better your relationship is with the Word of God, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be a theologian, you do not have to know one single word of Hebrew or Greek. Just read your Bible and pray along with it. Start in the book of Psalms if you can't figure out anything else to do and put your name in there where David put I will or they will or we will and just get your name in there and begin to pray the language of Scripture. And when you see something that looks different than your life, you need to say, hey God, this isn't happening in my life but it's decreed for the people of God in your word, and that's where supplication begins. I refuse this, and I release that. That's prayer. That's supplication. Paul said, first of all. 
It's everywhere through the Bible. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watching thereunto. Keeping watch with all perseverance. You don't give up. And supplication for all saints. Again, supplication is not just entreating. Supplication is enforcing. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let's unpack that verse for a second. Paul says to the Philippians, be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean don't be careful. That means don't worry about things like you do. Be careful for nothing. Stop having panic attacks over every little thing in your life. Be careful for nothing. Here's why you don't have to worry yourself into an early grave. Because you've got this weapon. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Somebody say supplication. That's our word tonight. Supplication is an enforcing prayer. It's not just an entreating, begging prayer. It's an enforcing prayer. I don't think that's right, God. The devil did that, and I'm not happy about it. I don't think that the devil should be just allowed to run unchecked in my home or my family or my mind. So, God, I'm going to enforce the boundaries of your blessing. I'm going to rebuke that so I can release this. That's supplication. Watch what he said. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. It's a positive attitude. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. God, I don't care how long this takes and I don't care how bad the devil fights. The truth is the victory was decreed 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And so this isn't my fight with the devil. This is your fight with the devil. And I'm just going to stand here and keep insisting on your promise until your promise is fulfilled in my life. Now, supplication, obviously, um, it's not to be wasted on petty, stupid little things, self-centered, temporal little things. And Paul elaborates on that, on that um, in that verse we read. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you go to verse 1, he tells us there, first of all, supplication. But go to verse 2, if you would. Look at what he says. He said, pray for the king. Pray for all that are in authority. Pray that we, as a society, as a group of people, may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Next one. This is good and acceptable. And so, so here's what he says. Don't just pray for you. Pray for everything you see. That's what we do. Now, there's another scriptural term, and I'll, I'll touch on this, and then we'll close and, and we'll pray together. Another scriptural term defining this kind of prayer is a word we're more familiar with. We don't use supplication much, but the other word is intercession. How many have ever heard the word intercession or intercessor? That's a person who prays a prayer of intercession. Now, Intercession, I, I define it like this. It's standing in the gap for somebody. It literally means, whether you look at the Hebrew language in the Old Testament or the Greek language in the New Testament, intercession carries the same meaning. To come between by chance. 
That's what it literally means. To come between by chance. If you go to Genesis chapter 29 and verse 11, the Bible says there that Jacob, he lighted upon a certain place. He happened upon a place. It was just kind of by chance or by accident. He lighted upon a place. He happened upon a place. Now that's the same word as the Bible uses for intercession or prayer. Jacob stopped at this place and he thought it was just an accident. He thought it was just by chance. The Bible simply says he lighted. It uses the same word. He lighted upon this place. But by the time he woke up the next morning, and he'd had a dream of a ladder that extended from earth to heaven and angels ascending and descending doing the bidding of God, he realized that that dream and that vision was the cornerstone of his entire life. He woke up the next morning and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. He thought it was random. He thought it was by accident. He thought it was by chance, but it was a divine appointment. And that is the idea of intercession. Intercession means, intercessory prayer means to come between by chance. That's the idea. Circumstances that happen to you. You think it's just random, but it's not. Impressions that come to your mind as you view something or you talk to someone or you read something and an impression comes to your mind and it catches your attention and you didn't plan on it and you weren't expecting it. Those things are not accidental when you're a child of God. God can bring impressions to your mind. He can bring circumstances into your schedule. And if we'll be sensitive to God, we'll perceive that God is bringing someone to our attention so they can pray for us. I got a, a, an email early this morning from Australia, a, a, a minister there uh, that I know and I've met. I, I love uh, he, he wrote me this morning. He said, the Lord woke me up. At, or I, No, he didn't wake. He woke me up, the email. Uh, he, he said, the Lord uh, impressed on me when I got home from Bible study last night, which is in the middle of the night for me. Uh, the Lord impressed on me that I was to come home and pray for you. Uh, you say, that's just random. I don't believe that. I don't believe for a second that God just kind of randomly does that. And if we learn to perceive things as prompted by the Holy Ghost, then when somebody comes to your mind, have you ever been driving somewhere and you see an accident? Uh, I've been in the car with other uh, Pentecostal folks and, and just like just somebody says, oh, Jesus, help them. That's not incidental or accidental. God puts you on the spot, on site to pray. You're standing in the gap. Intercession, you could define it this way, it's prayer by accident. It's just prayer that you didn't know you were going to pray, but it comes between that situation and you, and, and you begin to pray. Not every believer is called to be an intercessor, gifted to do that all the time, but every believer is called to intercede when God prompts. Think about this. You might be the only apostolic on that point of ground in that spot at that time. And so you're supposed to be the one that, that prays. Intercession and supplication occur when God's people realize Jesus ordained a boundary of blessing around my life. And unless 
somebody prays, the devil is always going to try to penetrate that boundary and get in where he doesn't belong. You were not saved to be a helpless bystander in life. You were not filled with the Holy Ghost so you could be an eternal victim buffeted by every little plot and ploy that the devil designs to confuse you and offend you and hurt you and damage you. You are not that. You are more than a conqueror. You are beyond a victor. And so you're not a victim. When, when you see that, it's not so you can get afraid, it's so you can get apostolic. When you see that, it's not so you can like run away, it's so you can wade into the conflict and say, wait a minute, this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't be sick. That shouldn't be, that child shouldn't be backslidden. And you just say, wait a minute, I'm gonna stand here and enforce what God said. The reason I started with the illustration I started with is because there were more battles on the other side of declared victory in the Iraq war than there were before they declared mission accomplished. And sometimes it feels like that in your life. Jesus won the victory. Jesus won the battle. Healing has been decreed. Salvation has been decreed. Deliverance of miracles and signs and wonders and healings, that's all been decreed through what he paid for on Calvary but he's left his servants to occupy till he comes. Supplication is the prayer of occupation. Christianity, you would not know this if you live in Canada, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You would not know that if you grew up in Canada. If you grow up in Canada, Christianity is a bunch of very quiet people that shuffle very quietly into a very quiet building and sit there and look at somebody who's talking to them. God help us not to become that, even on a Wednesday night. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is a fight to the death something's got to go down and something's got to go up and the devil is going down in Jesus' name and he's not just going down in the book of Revelation. We are going to put him down. The Bible tells us in Romans 16, 20 that the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. You have a right to take him down and take him out right now. First of all, prayer. First of all, Supplication. We need prayer warriors with sufficient spiritual sensitivity to understand one thing. God put you on location in your home, in your life, in your neighborhood, on your job, in your church, in your city. God put you on location. And he didn't put you here to vacation. He put you here to travail in prayer because the world around you, even your friends, the world around you, even your family, the world around you, even those in your own home, they will experience only sin's consequences unless somebody filled with the Holy Ghost intercedes for them and does supplication for them. We are literally 
not just a type or a shadow. We are literally the occupying forces for a kingdom that is not of this earth. Told you about President Bush. Let me tell you about this. 2,000 years have passed on the calendar since Jesus Christ made his historic declaration, not from the deck of a battleship, from a nondescript mountain near Jerusalem. He declared an end to major combat operations with hell. But Jesus told us that day that the prayer warriors engaged in saving and reconciling fallen humanity, they still have dangerous work to complete. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, so you go, because I'm going to be in you. I've got all the power. You go, because I'm going to be in Would you lift your hands right now? I am finished teaching, and I thank you for your kind attention, but would you lift your hands right now? Somebody needs to get this little lesson. It might not be a whole lot of a presentation, but it's a word from the Lord for somebody tonight. The devil's been encroaching on your home, your mind, your family, your friends. The devil's kind of been messing around the edges. The devil's been tormenting your mind and telling you you're never going to get well, and this is never going to turn around. The devil has been working working overtime on you and it's time that you got just a little bit of holy righteous indignation in your prayer and you started praying like this enough is enough I am done enough is enough this is over enough is enough I'm fed up with that and so I'm here to enforce the will of heaven to enforce the word of scripture if the Bible says with his stripes I am healed then I enforce that until I see my healing. If the Bible says thou shalt be saved and thy home, then I'm not going to beg for that. I'm going to stand and enforce that until I see that. I am an occupier. I am praying prayers of supplication, prayers of occupation, prayers of enforcement. That is what this is about. I'm done yelling. I hope you're not done praying. Would you lift up your voice? Mando Toradella Shosatakaya, Mato Torukuriatarabosiasa, Batolobaleto Koriabasiasa. All the miracles of healing are not in the past. All the miracles of restoration are not in the past. All the miracles of backsliders coming home are not in the past. They're in your family. They're sitting in that pew. If you'll just pray, they're going to be sitting beside you. It, in the name of Jesus. Somebody get a name in your mind. Somebody get a person in your mind and take them to prayer right now. It could be somebody that's sick. It could be somebody that's backslidden. It could be somebody that uh, they're all messed up in their mind. It doesn't matter. You are commissioned by God. You are filled with the Holy Ghost to be a warrior in prayer. You are the occupying forces. I don't like what I'm seeing, Jesus. This doesn't line up to your word. So I'm going to enforce it until you do it. I'm going to enforce it until I see it.
If you're sick in your body or you want to pray for somebody that's sick in their body, would you stand right now? You don't have to sit back down if that's not you, but with the rest of you, would you join us right now? If you're sick in your body or you're representing someone sick in their body, I want you to lift both of your hands if you're able to do that. And I want you to begin to pray right now. Don't beg God for it. Enforce it. Don't don't entreat. Enforce. God, your word says, with your stripes, I am healed. So I enforce that. I know I prayed before, but I'm here to make sure that the devil backs off. He may try to fight for a few weeks or a few months, but I'm going to keep praying until he backs off. That's my job. That's why I'm filled with the Holy Ghost is to pray prayers of supplication. If you'd like to stand and represent somebody that's far from God, away from God, backslidden in their heart, I think that would be wonderful. And you can pray like this. If they're a member of your family, you say, God, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved and thy house. What I see in my house doesn't reflect what that scripture says. So God, I'm going to pray a prayer of enforcing. I'm going to pray a prayer of supplication. I wish somebody pray for our church. If you don't have anything else to pray for, we could use a whole lot more power in our services, in our altar, in our prayer meeting, in our preaching, in our singing, in our response. We just need to stir up the gift that's in us. And so you have a right to say, God, what I'm seeing isn't reflecting what your word is saying. So I pray a prayer of enforcing. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I give you praise, Jesus. I give you praise, Jesus. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Yes. Yes.